Good morning, good evening, good day, and welcome to Drama Buds. I'm Francine, I really love K-dramas, and I'm going to spend as much time as I want talking about them. Welcome to my podcast. So, hello everyone. On today's episode, we are going to talk about my favorite K-drama couples. Uh, so you may ask how we ended up on this topic. Uh, I'm currently watching Fight for My Way, the one with Park Seo-joon and Kim Ji-won. Uh, I like it so far. I don't think it's absolutely stellar writing, uh, though there are some really good moments. And I do enjoy like the journeys of the characters and all that. Uh, the couple also has good chemistry. Though I don't completely love their dynamic. You know, watching this show, it made me realize I really don't like rom-coms. Like, I find their issues to be so contrived. And, you know, most of the time, it's always a will they, won't they. And if they get together early, they're bound to break up for some dumb reason. I don't know in Fight for My Way, by the way. I'm only in episode 12 or 13 so I don't know but maybe maybe that's how it's going to end up a lot of shows tend to do that in a way that's kind of why I was okay with the relationship and be melodramatic uh, because they got together early yeah but after there wasn't any like stupid angst any you know episode 15 breakup and then episode 16 they get back together it was all like chill very professional it was good. It was it was well done, I guess. Better than most rom-com relationships. But then again, Be Mellow was not a rom-com. In general, I just don't find rom-com tropes and relationships cute. Even if I know I'm supposed to. I know I'm supposed to like root for these couples and be super happy and... Uh, the Filipino word is kilig. I'm supposed to feel kilig, that giddy, happy feeling of love and all that. But I just don't. I just find it annoying. And rom-coms like, take so much time in getting the two, the main couple together. But if you strip away the romance plotline, what else is there? Like, at least in Fight for My Way, they do have their internal struggles and their career stuff. At some points in the story, those are prioritized. Like, that's the main focus of the story at this point. And, you know, currently I'm at the point where the romance is being prioritized. Like, they're finally going for it. But I'm sure that after they finally go for it, it'll be there, yeah. But we're going to go back to the career stuff, which is great. I like that. Other rom-coms have some fantasy aspect or, you know, external stuff that's keeping them from being together. But that's it. And sure, sure, if I looked deeper and if I actually finished any of the rom-coms I started, maybe I would see some other internal journey. Maybe it's not as shallow as I initially thought it was in the first few episodes or so. But as it stands, I don't like rom-coms. <laughs> Probably because it's the most popular genre for casual K-drama watchers. You know what casual watchers are. And 
before I became a fan of K-dramas, it's what I stereotyped all K-dramas were. Like, I thought, oh, all K-dramas are just about, you know, the cheesy romantic stuff and just being cute and all that's just not for me. And then, you know, I discovered the wonderful world of slice of life and sadness. Um, and I'm, I'm hooked. I'm here. So before I became a fan, I thought all K-dramas were just rom-coms. But I was very much wrong. So back to fight for my way. I like the couple there because they hit the two most important criteria for me. One, I should want to root for them to be together and as individuals as much as possible. And two, they should have chemistry. It's like, okay, for the first one, I root for them because I like friends to lovers. You know, even if some aspects of their dynamic is annoying to me, I was still okay with the relationship in general. And most importantly, they, they thoroughly addressed, you know, crossing the line from friends to lovers. Like, what prevented them from doing it before? And what makes this the final push? Like, this is it. This is really when we're finally going to be lovers. Instead of like, you know, it's so sudden as if they've never had those feelings before. I hate it. I hate it when they've never had inklings of feelings. Because what makes this time different? Like, what changed? Something huge must have changed for you to suddenly consider this, you know, the right time or to find that opportunity or to discover these feelings. But if you've never had these feelings and you just, you've never hidden it all these years and all that, like, where is it coming from? Okay, back to the chemistry. Chemistry-wise, Park Sojun and Kim Ji Won are just both good at it. Like, they're not afraid of getting close to their co-stars, so it never looks awkward. You know those actors that, like, they just look awkward when they have to act. You know, like, that they're in love with someone. They're just afraid of skinship and all that. It looks awkward. But with Park Sojun and Kim Ji Won, they're just all in, all the time. I, I love that. Although, putting them together, the combination here was not as explosive as I expected. So... Back, 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 back. Given my dislike of rom-coms, I started thinking about, you know, the couples that I actually liked. The couples that I liked the most and where they came from. Like, what show, what kind of show, what genre, what what are their stories? Like, why did I end up becoming invested in them? Uh, spoiler alert, none of these are full rom-coms because I just don't watch rom-coms. I focused more on the couples with good stories who I rooted for. I didn't focus too much on chemistry, especially not those like real to real couples, uh, you know, the co-stars that eventually started dating and all that. Because I think their real life chemistry might have just masked a bad story. That's that's something that I'm very careful about. But let's go. So our first couple today is Lee Chun and Che Songwa from Hospital Playlist. I felt like it would be appropriate to start with the show and the couple that started it all for me. This, this is the friends to lovers story that I love the most. Because, like, think about it. What kept them apart, right? After 20 years of friendship, why didn't they just go for it from the get-go? At first, it was, you know, their friendships. Like, with Sokyung and the group dynamic in general, right? And then, you know, Ikjun got married and then he had a wife and a child. And you'd think, okay, that's the ultimate sign that this is just a 
what might have been. Just just something to be left behind in the past because it's over now. He's got his end game. But but alas, now it Jun's divorced. Song was single. You know, if he's considering Uju, Uju would have no problem with Songwa, right? And their friends, they're all busy with their own lives and their own relationships and whatever. And between the two of them, those feelings have always been there. But the timing was never right until now. And if you think about the two of them, their relationship with each other, their friendship with each other is genuine. Like, they didn't just become friends to hit on each other. Surely. <laughs> Even though, like, we've had inklings that Song has liked him from the moment she saw him in that shed. Um, or also for him, he might have also liked her since then. We don't know. But throughout all these years, the friendship was genuine. They weren't waiting. Like, she wasn't waiting for, you know, the wife to be out of the picture and all that. Like... There was no waiting here. They were just living their lives comfortably by each other's side as friends. That was genuine. And after all these years, they truly know each other. So now, right now, what is stopping them right at this moment? Ah, oh, gosh. Their story, it's not like the friends to lovers struggle and fight for my way. Because, you know, Iksong... That's their ship name, by the way. Yes, let's go Iksong. Uh, they're older, right? Of course. And they're more mature. And they have more people to consider than just themselves and their feelings. That's what makes it a bit more complicated. But then, you know, sometimes when you're making a decision like this, you just have to strip away all of those other things that you think you have to think about. And just focus on like, what do you actually want to do? As, you know, Songwa asked Ikjun on episode 10, <laughs> the iconic episode 10 breakfast scene, like, what do you do for yourself? And his answer was literally spending time with her. That scene drove me nuts! Like, that was finally the confirmation that, oh my god, this is happening! But... I think Songwa's hesitation is coming from not knowing that it's been mutual all this time. And like, see Ikjun, you know, Ikjun being himself, Ikjun being this forward must be so surprising and so sudden to her. Because in her perspective, she's the one who's, you know, who's harbored these feelings so long ago and just let them die. But who knows if they're, you know, rising back up from the ashes at this moment because the timing is kind of right as quote unquote research for this episode i watched you know the breakfast scene and the episode six flashback stuff and and of course the iconic episode 12 confession uh and like i was afraid when i rewatched that confession scene because i thought that he was saying that he suddenly started to like her but then but 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 he mentioned chickening out again right he said the word again which tells her that he's thought about this before certainly before he got married and had a kid so i don't know maybe the english subtitles might have affected that like i was really reading every line making sure that he didn't make it sound like this was sudden for him okay i was so scared because i think that's what she's afraid of that's how i'm reading the situation 
But hopefully, hopefully she sees his sincerity and you know, how they both just miss the timing. It's been 20 years and he is taking this huge leap forward to try with her. He just wants to try to put it out there and let her make the decision because he would never force this on his friend because their friendship matters the most and his son matters so much to him and you know this is a huge leap forward to try and change like the fabric of their relationship but he's willing to do it because he doesn't want to miss out on the chance (sighs) we will see what happens in season 2 on June 17. <laughs> but I don't think that Shin PD and Writer Lee will hurt us by not making this work out. They won't do this to us. You know, they won't. They will not do this to us. That is all I am hoping for. Like, at, just the thought of it, you know, that they're not going to end up together after creating this... Oh, this painful, like, ah! (laughs) After creating the story for them and then thinking that they won't end up together, it's just driving me nuts. But we'll we'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm very hopeful. Okay, next couple is Jang Jae-ol and Ji Hye-soo from It's Okay, That's Love. These two. My one true pairing, okay? They have the best chemistry ever. Now, officially, officially, they did not go from real to real. They were not officially dating in real life. But their chemistry is so good here that I have theories and headcanons on how they actually were together, but they broke up for whatever reason. So everything I'm about to say now, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this extensively already on my episode on It's Okay, That's Love, episode 3. <laughs> but all my feelings are coming back because I'm currently re-watching the show. Oh, I love them so much. I think what is really like sticking to me right now is that this is a relationship that's built on so much good communication. Like It drives me absolutely crazy. Every time they fight and bicker or whatever. And then they talk about it after to clear things up. Like, is the bar this low that seeing two people in a relationship actually talking about their feelings instead of, you know, bottling it all up and just drinking with their friends and ranting to everyone? Like, is the bar so low that seeing two people communicating is just driving me crazy? Because they do. They just, oh... Really, the bar is so low, but they're just, they're the best. This is the best OTP. Even if Heisu was kind of like petty and annoying at the start. And to be honest, Jayol made some non-consensual moves on her. Like when she was still dealing with the sex phobia, anxiety stuff. But, but, but wait, but wait. Before anyone drops this show because they think this is so icky and all that. Like, wait. They get better and better as the relationship progresses. Like, don't worry. It's not that kind of relationship or not that kind of K-drama. My favorite part of their story, of the message of their story, is how it says that some problems cannot be fixed by love. Like, okay, maybe Jesus' anxiety issues and her sex phobia. Maybe, yes, in a way that can be fixed by love. 
because she needed to remove the disgust and the negative moral evaluation of sex and other acts of intimacy. Like, she saw it as disgusting. She saw it as evil, right? And so, there are some people, of course, that are averse to sex. That's that's perfectly fine. But, you know, you, she has to, like, dissect that thought or that affect. Like, are you really averse to sex and intimate acts because you are or is it because of some preconceived notions or some trauma that you've dealt with before and the honest answer is that yeah it's because of you know her trauma because of her memories and so she has to remove the negative affect and the negative evaluation of sex to to get better and you know to to live i don't know a fuller life would i say it's a fuller life but like it is keeping her from maintaining good relationships with other people. So maybe, maybe it's something that she has to deal with. And she could deal with it by associating those acts with something more positive. Like, like love, right? At least that's my read on it. I don't know, I'm not a psychologist or whatever. <laughs> um, but for Jail's issues, they definitely cannot be fixed by love. And Hesu did the very best that she could by, you know, taking him to other doctors instead of taking that burden for herself. Because honestly, the show easily could have gone in that direction. Like, she will fix him with love. Other K-dramas have done similar, similarly unethical things before. But, but the best part about this show is that it's grounded in reality. And so is their love story. She will not fix him just with her love or just because she loves him so much. Because one, that's unethical. And two, it might not even help with his recovery. She understood that. She respected that. And even if it was hard to make that decision, and she was making the decision for him, right? He didn't know he had a problem. He didn't know he needed help. But she made that decision for him as a doctor, but not as his doctor. And that was just like... I, I didn't think I needed that in a K-drama. I didn't think I needed to see that, but I did. And I'm so grateful for it because it's such an important message, really, that although we want to be there for our loved ones and to, you know, to let our love and care and concern for them, you know, urge them to be better and try to, quote-unquote, fix them, sometimes people need professional help. And as the loved ones... We can't really do anything about it. We have to direct them to the right people who can really help them. Uh, I just thank you. It's okay, that's love. Thank you for showing that. I did not think we needed or I would ever get to see that in a K-drama, but thank you. And love, you know, in this situation is kind of just a motivator, I guess. That's not a great term, but it helps someone, you know, try to get better. And it helps one support each other and to want what is best for the other. Like, Heisu loves him so much and wants him to get better so much that she admits him into the hospital and keeps him away from her, even if it's so hard for the both of them, because she really wants what is best for him. Meanwhile, he loves Heisu so much that he's willing to let her go. That he's telling her, like, just go live your life. Don't wait for me. Don't, you know, don't wait for me to get better because we don't know when that's going to happen. I don't want to hold you back from living your life. So just go. 
And if I'm still here and you still want me, then let's do it. But I never want to hold you back. Even if, you know, it's uncertain if she will ever come back to him, right? But, but, but she did. And gosh, I love them so much. Like The story is just, this is a couple that needs to end up together. No ifs, buts, or maybes, they must end up together. They are also the closest I have to a rom-com couple, but honestly, the show leans very mellow at some point, so I don't exactly count it as a rom-com couple. Okay, next couple. Continuing the Jo In-sung and writer No Hee-kyung train, we have Park Wan and So Yeon-ha from Dear My Friends. So in this show, So Yeon-ha, Jo In-sung's character, is really just a love interest. And technically, he's just making a special appearance. He's not really a main cast member. So I really didn't expect like a deep internal journey from him. But with Park Wan, oh my god, I did not expect her to be so, so well-written. And so unlikable in so many ways. Trust me, she's really questionable at times. But, but her love for Yonha kind of crowns all of that or a little bit of that in in anguish and guilt and resentment and self-hate and self-destruction really like it just it boggles my mind to think of how deeply uh, their issues are written and these characters are so rich and full of like pain and yet they continue living normally you know as normally as they could despite everything they've gone through I just absolutely love, love the writing of the characters here. But specifically, their relationship. Like, I cannot say much about Yonha because he's really just, you know, the love interest that's far away from part one. But but she goes through a lot just to find the courage, really, or to take that leap and to go back to him. One of the greatest moments in this entire show full of so many great moments is when Wan suddenly flew to Slovenia to visit Yonha years after she left him, by the way. And, you know, initially when she came in, he was unenthusiastic. Like, the response was so lukewarm. And she thought, like, is he not happy to see me? Was this a mistake? Should I not have surprised him and then just get disappointed like this? So, when she... She had a nosebleed because, you know, she had jet lag and she just had barely any sleep. So she went to the bathroom to clean up. And then she saw so many, like, his and hers toiletries, toothbrushes, towels, bathrobes, and all that. And I thought when I saw that scene, like, my heart dropped to my stomach because I thought Yonha had been dating this girl for a while. They've been telling each other about that because they're technically broken up. But not really. And so he's been telling her about the girl that he's been dating. And and I thought, oh my god, is he in a serious enough relationship that that girl has moved in some of her things into his apartment? It really, like, my heart broke for her. And then Juan went out and, and, and screamed at him and said, like, why would you scare me like that? Because apparently those were all of her things. All of those he kept it after all these years, not even knowing if she was ever going to come back. And that was the big confirmation that, that yes, they still have a chance. Because 
you know, yes, they both still want to be together. Like, the, the waiting, it, it boggles my mind. How can someone be that patient? You know, how can someone love another person so much without any guarantee that it will pay off? Despite all the pain, you know, in both of their lives, honestly. Like, oh, it just broke me in the best possible way. I, I don't cry over romantic stuff that much, but that moment really got me. Like, I cannot believe I was sobbing over, you know, seeing someone's like toothbrush still there even if that may be nasty it probably has mold or whatever <laughs> but just the thought that the waiting was worth it this completely uncertain period of their time when they both didn't know you know what was the point of all this all the video calls we're making, all the updates we share about our lives. Why are we acting like this? Will this ever pay off? Will either of us ever find the courage to, you know, go to each other again? And though the burden of that is on one, honestly. Like, she's the one who left him. She should be the one to come back. Their relationship confused me for so long because I didn't understand what was really going on. Is this an open relationship? Mm, but but it wasn't, okay? It was just so much more complicated than that. It's a relationship that has so much uncertainty. Like, will they ever be able to make it? Will this finally be their true breaking point? Like, whatever series of things that happens. You know, is it even worth it? Going back to their relationship after everything that they've been through. But you as a viewer, or well... Me as a viewer, you know, I want to believe and I have to believe that their love will transcend all the time and the distance that they spent apart and all the things that prevented them from pursuing this fully. Which, by the way, you know, the things that kept them from each other are so deep. Like, they're so... If I were in their shoes, if I were in one's shoes... I too would be unable to make that decision to choose him really. That's why like I relate to it. Well, I don't relate relate to it, but I can empathize with it because like in her shoes, I think I would be struggling with making that choice as well. It's not because, you know, she didn't love him so much or didn't love him enough, but there are just so many external things keeping her from making that choice finally. And so when she does make that choice, when she takes that leap, when she finds the courage, it's so earned. Like they deserve this happiness because she has finally, you know, it's not gotten over those issues, really. They, they're still kind of there. But she has said, F it, I'll go, I'll do what I want, I love him, I'll go back to him. And so it feels so earned. And then when he makes that leap, because of course she has to go back to her normal life in Korea. When he makes that leap to go to her, to, you know, to, to meet her not halfway, but to meet her completely on the opposite, opposite side of the world. Or in a way that is meeting her halfway. Because she was willing to make that huge leap towards him. And so he should be you know, willing to do that for her as well. Like that is meeting each other halfway. Going the extreme for each other, I guess. That's halfway. But 
totally, totally earned. At some point, I was really afraid that they wouldn't end up together. But, you know, when the her going to Slovenia and seeing all of that in his bathroom, like, when that happened, I was sure. They're going to hurt me somehow before they get that ending. But they're going to be together. I firmly believe it. So, on the complete opposite side of the spectrum from everyone else, we have Tagon and Teilha from Arthdal Chronicles. Oh, I love this couple so much, you have no idea. So, there was a quote from the finale of Vincenzo, where Vincenzo said, Villains never break up because they're tenacious, even when they love. End quote. And all I thought when he said that, when Song Junki, Unsum and Saya himself said that, I could only think about Tagon and Teela, honestly. Like, these two people, they're kind of terrible. <laughs> like in any other K-drama, they would have been the villains, okay? Not the protagonists. And some people may still see them as the villains of this show. But really, they're just anti-heroes who are selfish and vicious and power hungry but the only thing that they have for themselves truly the thing that they truly want you know despite everything else is each other and they will scheme and kill and find every possible way to gain power while still having each other now that's a power couple because <laughs> some people you know when they encounter struggles they just give up like, oh, I can't have you. Okay. But here, it's like, Tagon literally had to marry someone from the Asa clan. <laughs> okay, here's a Arthbill Chronicles uh, spoiler or lesson, whatever. So Tagon literally had to marry someone from the Asa clan because the Asa clan is in charge of like the religious aspect of the Arthbill Union. And so it's kind of symbolic that the military power and the religious power are united in hell, you know, giving him the authority really to lead the union, to become the Niruha. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, at that point, he met Teilha in their special place or whatever and said that, you know, I have to do it. I gotta do it. And then she's like, Okay, <laughs> I don't remember exactly how this conversation went. It's just kind of like, well, okay, I guess I can't be your wife. Noted with thanks, but I guess we still have to continue with our plans. You still have to be king, and I'm going to be the leader of my clan, my tribe, because I just, I want power too. Like, she's not just going to let him go and like, you know, feel like the world... Her world is over. Her life is over because she can't have him. Like, eh, it's fine. I mean, oh, sad. But, you know, this doesn't have to be the end for us. We, we, still, we still have so much to accomplish. Whether we can do it together or apart. So yeah, they will scheme and kill and find every possible way to gain power while still having each other. I cannot help but root for that. Like, okay. You do what you have to do to be together, man. It's fine. I respect the grind. And I really love how the show treats them as two equally strong people. Just because Taylor is helping him become king, that doesn't mean she's like a lesser or a weaker character. She is still her own person. But her goal just happens to be 
helping him to achieve power for the both of them. But as I mentioned in my Arthville Chronicles episode, um, when he becomes king and she becomes queen, she didn't become queen, you know, just out of her relationship with him. Just because he married her, chose to make her his queen. No, she's also a queen because she has power and influence of her own right that she has earned. So she is never a lesser person to him just because she is helping him with his goal. And that's a true power couple. <laughs> um, just the thought of like after everything they've been through, you know, all the terrible things they've done and all of the terrible things that actually happened to them and how people have treated them, like don't they deserve each other? In the best and worst ways, like they deserve to be together. And so I will always respect Talon and Teilha because you know what? They are villains who are tenacious in love and they deserve that. So now we have our last couple. Wang Shimok and Han Yojin from Stranger. Mm-hmm, that's right. My last favorite couple is the only fanon couple I ship, which means that nothing has canonically happened between them. However, I, I love this. I love them. You know, in a in a kind of how do I character study way? <laughs> I love it because I genuinely cannot grasp how Wang Shimok's mind works. Like as a psych major studying emotion and motivation at the moment, I am just thinking so deeply on like, how does he live? <laughs> what drives him? What are his drives? Like what what motivates this person to even do what he does? And it drives me even crazier trying to think of how and why Yojin is able to get all these reactions from him. Even when they weren't that close yet in season one, like the micro expressions, the little smiles or the frowns or grimace or whatever, like there, there's nuance in those little expressions, which one Thank you, Chosung. You absolutely deserve that best actor uh, win. You, I don't know how he was able to pull that off with so much nuance. And yet, you understand that all those little expressions mean so much for Wang Shimok's character, right? And it just boggles my mind <laughs> to think of how Yojin was able to get through to him, right? To, to want to elicit those from him and to, to understand how rare it is for him to express those emotions. Like, just the thought that someone is able to keep up with him and is trying to understand him genuinely, that's enough to make me love them so, so, so much. I also really love how they're both just trying to do their best in their respective institutions and how they're kind of the paragons of goodness and righteousness despite all the corruption and dirty tricks going on around them. You know, season two Yojin, she was moving up the ranks, yeah, but she was growing more and more disillusioned in what she was doing and what they as an institution were doing. But Shimok was there to remind her who she actually was and what she stood for. Like, even questioning, you know, that the Yojin I know wouldn't do that or wouldn't think that way. I don't 
know if that's exactly the line, but I know that the scene in the car, the scene in the car. I, I know the scene. <laughs> anyway, um, just the thought that he also was able to understand her and to know that this doesn't seem like you based on how I know you. And it's not really coming from an accusatory way. It's like, oh, so you're corrupt now, huh? You're one of them now, huh? Like, knowing Shimok, there's really no moral evaluation from that statement. He's really just stating what he thinks, that you know, he doesn't think this is how Yojin would act based on how he knew her. Matter of fact, no judgment there. But that was kind of a bit of a wake-up call, I guess, for Yojin to realize how much this entire situation and what she's had to do has changed her and to evaluate, like, does she want that change? Does she want to rise up in rank and all that and achieve all of this at the cost of, I don't know, her moral compass, maybe? Oh, I love that. I, I love how season two put them against each other, right? Police versus prosecutors. Of course, they had to fill their roles. But when they had something that they could work on together, you know, finding Dongjae or uncovering whatever mystery, um, they had no hesitations to work together because it's that natural to them. Even if Han Yojin's boss, Choi Bit, told her to do this, to go there and figure whatever happened out to, you know, find a way to spin it for the police's favor. And, you know, Wang Shimok's boss told him to go there and find a way to spin it to favor the prosecutors. When they meet at that place and figure out that there's something wrong here, there is some truth to be uncovered here, those walls are immediately just gone. Like, they don't care about each other's agenda anymore. They just have to help each other. You know, Wang Shimok, that's easy for him because he's... He is who he is. He does not doubt. I mean, he just does what must be done, right? And Han Yojin is the one who, you know, has to think about, should she play the game? Should she really stay that loyal at the cost of finding out the truth and saving this life or finding Dongjae or whatever? Like, she's the one who has to make more of a decision about what she's really going to do. But Wang Shimok is straight and narrow. Ah, I just their relationship is so natural, and yet you know that for Wang Shimok, having such a natural relationship is so weird for him, and so it just boggles my mind to think of how he's really processing all of this and how how he feels, what he feels, honestly. A lot of people say that this should stay platonic because we rarely get a relationship like this in K dramas. And I respect that. I respect that opinion. I don't mind. It's a really great relationship, period, as it is. But, like, what are we going to do with all of this chemistry between them? Beiduno and Chosu. Honestly, they drive me. They drive me crazy. I cannot believe I see so much chemistry and there is nothing, supposedly. <laughs> like, you know, as I imagined the Wang Han romantic stuff going on, it doesn't have to be all cheesy and kissy-kissy romance or whatever. A part of me is weirded out by the mere thought of that. But, like, a little acknowledgement that Huang Shimok's, you know, limited range of emotions that he can express, just an acknowledgement that it can include love, 
that's enough for me. Just to know that he feels love, he knows love, and he can express love in whatever way he's able to do it. And in a way that Yojin can probably figure out because she knows him so well for some strange reason. You know what? That's enough for me. I'm not mad at that. You know, the fact that he can even maintain a relationship. I mentioned this earlier, I think. The fact that he can maintain a relationship knowing how he is, knowing how people just don't understand him, and how Yojin was able to get on his level and be, you know, the kind of person that stays in his life, that's a huge step forward for him. And I think, you know, the possibility of this romantic stuff happening, I think it will add even more depth to what little we understand about him. Because, you know, love involves so many other emotions and motivations and all that. Like, it's just so complex, really. And it would be interesting to see how love plays a role in, in Wang Shimok's life. On Yojin's side, I don't exactly know how this will play a role in her journey. But we will see what she deals with and how she will develop in Season 3. Yes, yes, I am speaking as if Season 3 is definitely going to happen in 2022 or 2023. Whenever writer Lee Soo-yoon is ready, we will be ready for her. So that's it for me today. These, these are all the couples I love the most in the, let me check quickly, in the 57k dramas that I have watched, I have picked out five <laughs> that I definitely, definitely love and support. Honestly, I'm just a super jaded person. <laughs> and I don't relate to these stories at all. Like, have not been there and have not done that. So I just don't get it. It's hard for me to find couples that I root for, period. But it's really hard for me to find couples that I root for as much as these guys. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that I have an aversion to rom-coms in general because it's kind of how I stereotype K-dramas before I became a fan. Now look at me, like, look at everything I have, you know, felt and learned and analyzed and even just thought about with all the shows that I've watched, like... You know, all the relationships I've evaluated, all the characters I've tried to understand. Like, I was totally wrong. 2016 me was totally wrong about K-dramas. I don't know if I would have this much appreciation for it if I started earlier, if I rode the hype of other shows that, you know, came before. Because I feel like appreciating things in the past instead of like, things that are in the present, I, I see it differently from those that were caught up, you know, in the zeitgeist of it all. So, so I, I don't entirely regret not being a K-drama fan earlier. I think this was the perfect time for me to get into this. But, but yes, going back to, you know, stereotyping K-dramas, there's so many amazing genres out there. You know, once again, Slice of Life. Like, I have never watched slice of life in western shows before right that's my favorite genre in k-dramas when i was watching western shows i really like comedies because their humor was a hit with me i understood their humor i understood their references and why things were supposed to be funny in that line or in that scene um i just don't have that kind of appreciation it, 
K-dramas and Korean culture and their references and all of that. Um, but you know, on the other way, uh, Western shows don't have slice of life. Like I've watched very few where it's just like someone going through life. I mean, something's happened, but they're just going through life. That's not very common in Western shows. And that's really sad because that's something I wish I could see. I think even if I live in a very different culture from Western shows, I think I'd be able to understand that because I think we are all just trying to live life, you know? And it doesn't have to be extremely dramatic or extremely filled with sex and drugs and alcohol. I don't know why I watched this one sh- Western show recently and it's just full of women talking about sex. And I'm like, why? <laughs> do you guys have nothing to do, nothing to talk about aside from that? I'm sure you do. Anyway, sorry, I digress. I just wish there were more slice of life shows in Western media. I don't know. Maybe you could recommend me something if I, if you know of anything. You know what I mean about slice of life. You know what I'm talking about. But anyway, yeah, I don't think rom-coms, I don't think that's the genre for me. Uh, I, I think also maybe I haven't found one that I really love. And I, I think I'm staying away from them because I don't want to go back into the mindset of stereotyping K-dramas or like, you know, looking down on K-dramas again. Because you know what? I was right before. Rom-coms are very popular and they're also very, you know, not good. I don't want to be in that mindset. There's so much to learn and to analyze and understand. And, you know, at the moment, I'm not finding that in romantic comedies. Anyway, sorry, going back to, you know, the K-drama couples um, spiel. Uh, I think I just like love lines. I mean, I do like romance. You know, most of the time, I just accept it. I don't entirely love it. These are the few uh, couples and love lines that I love. Um, I think I like love lines when they explain something about the characters and or they help them grow and develop further because of their relationship. But I am so turned off when it feels like the struggle is just the relationship itself and not much else. Like, it's either getting together, period, or, you know, having the other person notice them or... uh, I'm just not interested in it. Like, yeah, if you strip away, you know, the getting together aspect, what is going on with these characters? What are they really dealing with aside from not being with this person? Eh. If there's no solid answer, it's a no from me. Okay. So if you have you know, a quote-unquote typical rom-com recommendation that you think will meet my very picky standards or not, Maybe, maybe it will be exactly what I want to bash, but I'm trying to be more open-minded here. I think I have to diversify and and watch more things that are out of my usual standards. Anyway, if you have any of those recommendations, feel free to suggest in the comment section on YouTube or Facebook or even send a private message to the Facebook page. I always reply to those. And also, if you have a question you'd like me to discuss on the podcast, send them as well, and I will see if I have enough opinions to make a 40-minute to an hour-long episode about it. But 
you know, knowing me, I probably can. <laughs> With all the thoughts and opinions I have in this little head, I probably can. So just go ahead, send me whatever questions you have. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to some recommendations because I really do need to change up like what I watch. I, I need to watch more historical shows. I'm really looking at Sagoks right now or Makjangs even, but they're just so long. We'll see. We'll see what I end up watching next after Fight for My Way. Uh, I'm also tired of crying, so I will have to postpone Move to Heaven for a while because I'm really not I'm not emotionally ready for that. I think Dear My Friends scarred me, <laughs> scarred my beard ducks. I have not cried much ever since that day that I watched eight episodes straight. Anyway, that's it for me today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you soon. Thank you.